Hello and welcome to Real Talk for Mums. Two personal trainers coming together through birth trauma to bring laughs, tears and a lot of real talk around the health and well-being of mums. Unedited, raw and unapologetically ourselves, Mags and myself, Lara, aim to empower mums with the knowledge and support they deserve to live their best lives. Come join us for a new episode every week. Welcome to part two with our clinical nutritionist, Courtney, and today we're going to be talking about infant deficiencies. So we're going to go through some common ones, um, whether it's uh, dependent on gender, we're going to find out um, what deficiencies and what key nutrients you need to look for for your children. We're going to talk about eczema, asthma and hay fever and the link with diet. And we're going to see if there's any odd signs that you should be looking out for to know if your child is deficient. We're going to talk about this topical subject around the ENT specialists and removing adenoids and so much more. Let's welcome Courtney again and we're going to get straight into it. So nutritional deficiencies, um, are there common ones in children that you're finding? Um, It really depends on, I mean, Australians typically have a pretty poor diet. Oh. Um, so, our, like, not many Australians meet our recommended fruit and vegetable intake. Um, and children particularly are low on vegetables, grains, and protein. Most children meet their fruit intake, which is great. Is there a specific one? Because you know how adults, uh, they say that you're meant to have, I don't know, is it five mm. different types of fruit and veg a day? Is it different for children? Uh, no. So we're still aiming for that two and five. Okay. At most stages of childhood. Um, but, yes, yeah, so the deficiencies that we see tend to vary based on what those safe foods are. So um, iron is a pretty common one that we'll see. Um, and then just the range of micronutrients that come from vegetables if we're not eating many vegetables. Mm, or hiding them and not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> is it is it true that? Girls are commonly deficient in magnesium and boys zinc, or is that complete crap? Not from my experience or what I've seen in the research. Um, when we're looking at adults, we do tend to see you know, women are more likely to be deficient in iron and magnesium, and teenage boys and men are more likely to be deficient in zinc, um, but not so much in childhood. Okay, cool. That's to squash that, which is great. Um, how can you check for deficiencies in children? This is really interesting. So research has come out in the last couple of years that a five-day diet diary that is filled out accurately um, is just as accurate as doing blood tests for particular deficiencies. Oh, that's amazing. So we can, yeah, we can actually avoid doing blood tests in a lot of cases. Um Unless, you know, unless we're looking for something like celiac disease, in which case we're doing gene testing and need to be looking at blood. Um, but for deficiencies, we can typically get away with looking at a diet recall and seeing what's being eaten, what our symptoms are and making correlations there. Okay, cool. And that's, that can be quite easy because you're kind of in charge of what your children are eating in general, unless they're mm. at daycare, but you can still ask what what are they eating? Most people get apps with updates of what the kids been eating. Absolutely. Um, we don't always need quantities, um, 
the foods are generally enough that we can work out where our gaps are. Okay. Um, are there any odd signs like, you know, eating sand or dirt? Is that something that they're deficient um, in if it's a common thing? <laughs> yeah, dirt could possibly be iron deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like really pale skin can be iron deficiency, like falling asleep all the time. Um, I heard about a child a while ago who was just learning to walk and would take two steps and sit down and have a nap. Wow. Um, and just had really, really low iron. So those kind of signs um, can be signs of iron deficiency as well. What about their nails? Is it a thing where if they've got white in their nails, it's a zinc mm, deficiency? Yeah, there can be zinc or iron. Um, zinc also, or iron. like skin can be an indicator. Um, I think we're going to talk about eczema soon, but that can be, you know, give us some indications of things that are going on. And frequent sickness, if, I mean, I know daycare is... <laughs> daycare is it's a, like um... a petri dish Courtney <laughs> it's just festering um, very expected to be sick often but if they're not recovering quickly um that can also be a sign that we've got a few deficiencies going on it can be a sign of a few different deficiencies and it takes it to work out what might be happening there but there can be signs that things aren't quite right mm, okay um I think when you first introduce your child to daycare it's just you're sick every week um but then eventually they kind Mm. of get over it and their immune system's a lot stronger (laughs) absolutely um are let's talk about the eczema asthma thing Mm. because that is a pretty big topic um I, i i know most people that i know have either got their child who has eczema or asthma and i read that there's a link with that um can we talk a bit more about Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So eczema is, um, this is a genetic component of eczema, but there is also immune action involved in it. And when the immune system's involved, that's where diet also has a role to play um, because most of our immune system lives in our digestive system. So if our digestive system isn't happy, our immune system also isn't happy. Mm -hmm. And we also need particular nutrients to support every system in our body. So if we're not getting the nutrients to support our immune system, then it can't function properly either. Um, So there is research closely linking eczema to the composition of the gut microbiome. So that is really interesting and um, that is something that we can play with as clinical nutritionists um, in terms of prebiotics and probiotics to support that gut microbiome. Um, Eczema and asthma are connected and as is hay fever um, Mm. and they often come together through shared genetic origin Um, it typically begins with eczema followed by food allergies and then the the development of asthma and hay fever. Um, But as they all involve the immune system and inflammation, nutritional management can also be helpful. So what we're looking at was reducing inflammation, probiotics and prebiotics to support that gut microbiome, and then particular nutrients like vitamin D, selenium and zinc to support the skin and immune health. So eczema, hay fever and asthma can be just a genetic thing or is it 
will it be linked to nutritional deficiencies as well? And you can actually help um, alleviate a lot of symptoms. There's typically a genetic origin, but we can manage it with nutrition. So it doesn't mean that it'll be cured forever. Um, There still might be some flare-ups, but those flare-ups are typically less frequent and less intense once Mm. we've got some nutritional management happening. If, for example, you had a child um, who has asthma and they just have inhalers, Mm -hmm. would you look at their diet and try and so say they're eating lots of gluten, lots of dairy. Is that a link to asthma and eczema? Gluten and dairy can be inflammatory for some people. Um, So we would be looking at reducing that inflammation through, it might involve taking out gluten and dairy for a little bit and seeing what happens. Um, And also environmental factors like what, you know, chemicals are in anything they're using on their skin and things like that that might be inflaming it as well. Yeah. Um, I've had a few people say, that oh no my ex was just linked to um winter it can that be a mm. thing it's literally just a season or i'd be thinking that has a bit to do with hydration ah um, okay and hi- yeah we typically drink less water in winter because it's cooler and then also exposure to heaters drying out the skin as well mm, yeah hot baths hot showers mm. things yeah Ooh, yeah nice what are your thoughts? Because my son went down this road. I actually um, hired someone to help me look at his gut because he had eczema. Yeah. And I was like, nah, come on, let's fix this. And he also really sinusy. So I had yeah. to go down that route of, I didn't have to, I decided to, where I, re- I removed gluten, I removed dairy. Mm-hmm. And still he was, he wasn't right and I think my husband has hay fever, so there could be a link with hay fever mm. too. But I also looked at ENT, which is ear, nose and throat yes. specialist for listeners. And he said that he's um, he did like a test in the ears and he said he's underwater. He's really blocked sinusy. Mm. Uh, so reluctantly, I did um, a steroid nose spray mm. just to see if it would help. And he said, if it does help, then... We don't need to get his adenoids removed. If it doesn't, then we need to look at further things like removing adenoids. And I know mm. I didn't realize how common this was. I've spoken to a lot of different mums who said, oh, yeah, I've had adenoids removed. It's mm. a common thing. I didn't. Either way, I wasn't going to get his adenoids removed, but I wanted to see if the, the spray would work. Um, what are your thoughts on that removing the adenoids and that inflammation of the sinuses and things yeah I mean removing the adenoids obviously isn't my scope of practice um so like that um you know is up to the ENT specialist but it obviously has its time and place um the important thing to consider though is that adenoids are a key part of our immune system so we're removing something that has a role in the body and considering the impact of that um Diet, obviously, as we've discussed, can help reduce inflammation. So it's something that should be seriously considered in that context. Um, Acupuncture as well, depending on the age of the child and if they're willing to stay still for a little bit, can be really (laughs) helpful with sinus inflammation. Um, Mm. So that's something else that can be considered depending on the child. Mm, Yes, because I can't imagine many children wanting to sit there just still with needles. (laughs) Um, but maybe there are other methods that acupuncturists can look at with children. 
um, around sinuses. That's an interesting one with acupuncture. Um, is there, so we spoke about inflammatory foods being gluten and dairy around sinuses. Mm. Is there any others that are pretty prominent? Processed foods also increase inflammation. And um, so you're reducing fast foods, packaged foods, flavorings, preservatives can also have an impact on inflammation throughout the body. Yeah, I think that's a big issue because we're going for convenience and speed over mm. health in general now in society. So all of the packaged stuff is just quick for mothers on the go. And it's trying to get that right balance with not introducing all of that stuff because it is highly processed and it does cause gut issues which is then causing inflammation which is then causing mm. all of these deficiencies so it, i know people may not like to hear that but but it's true so it's trying to it's trying to get that balance between yeah you are are busy parents but we need to also start looking at removing these processed foods like like we were saying yeah it, it's a balance like you know, frozen veggies can be a great option. They don't take as long to cook. You know, they store for longer, things like that. So mm. there are some convenience foods that are good options to have, but it's just having that balance of, as I've said, convenience and health. Yeah, definitely. Um, packet rice, is yeah. that a good one? Like yeah. just throw it in the microwave, <laughs> some veggies. Yeah. And yeah. um, I mean, microwaving plastics is yeah like take it out of the plastic and stick it yeah, in a bowl. Take it out of the <laughs> take it out of the plastics um but yeah i don't have much of an issue with that at all cool um any other tips for parents just for for speed for their food that's not processed foods because i don't preparing like foods having in it... advance yeah preparing foods in advance preparing like bulk of foods where you can use it for different things can also be helpful mm. just to save on that preparation time um as well i love making zucchini slices just mm. like on a sunday and it's i didn't realize how easy it was so i would always use that excuse of like it's too it takes too long um but it's so quick and you just throw it all in one bowl and then yeah throw it in the baking tray and stick it in the oven and then you've just got all these slabs of great meal absolutely um cool uh how can you ensure a vegetarian household is getting enough nutrients mm. um firstly it can be done so it's Good absolutely <laughs> possible um to support your nutrient requirements for a family as vegetarians um it's really important to be aware of key nutrients like proteins ions b12 omega-3s um being also aware that nutrient requirements are different at different life stages. So infants, for example, require higher amounts of iron. So being aware of what is actually needed at different stages as well is important. How can you find that out? Is there something that you've got? Yeah, the um, link. Yeah, so we can add the link to the nutrient reference values. Amazing. Um, that's not an issue at all. And if you're not confident that your family is meeting their nutrient requirements, see a clinical nutritionist um, who will be able to help you. So there is definitely support around um, to help you meet, like help you meet your nutrient requirements as a vegetarian or vegan household. That's not a problem at all. Okay, great. Uh, allergies. Mm. Why? Why are they so high now? Like it's, 
it seems to be that so many people have to carry EpiPens with them for mm. peanuts, for, for shellfish, for so many different things. I'm just wondering, has it always been this high or is it, I've got my own beliefs around why mm. allergies are so much of an issue now. <laughs> But I'd, um, I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, so allergy rates are increasing. Um, there's many factors that play into that. Um, vitamin D rates in Australia are thought to play into it, which is really interesting because really? we've gone to being so sun conscious that we actually have low vitamin D rates. Um, changes mm. in the gut microbiome also play into it, like as we discussed before, the immune system living in the gut microbiome. Processed um, foods processed foods environmental factors all play into that as well um like and our diet has changed considerably in the last 20 years so that all plays into that gut microbiome um and the other thing that allergies are associated with is the increased rate of cesarean births Um, and there is less exposure to the vaginal microbiome through the delivery, which impacts that gut microbiome development um, and the development of the immune system as well. That's so interesting. I never even thought of of that link. The mm. c- yeah, the C-section and the allergies. Uh, I have a couple of questions from some mums around this topic. Mm-hmm. And one was, uh, I remembered someone talking about them doing it themselves when I had Monty. So I'm glad that she asked this question. It was around how to introduce foods that you know may be an allergy like peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard of mums um, driving and sitting outside a hospital, yeah. introducing <laughs> peanut butter and then waiting just in case it's had a, like it has an anaphylactic shock. Yeah. What? Um if you're breastfeeding, consuming high allergen foods the week before you introduce them as solids um, ah. can be a way to int- like so that they get the antibodies through the breast milk before you introduce the food. Is Would they get one it way of doing it? In utero if you've in, if you've Potentially, had Potentially, like... but I'm not sure on the impact of that on allergens. Okay. Um but yes, I have, um, yeah, so introducing it through the breast milk is one way of doing it before you introduce the solids. Um, but just like the first allergic reaction a child has is typically pretty minor. It's generally worse on the second or third exposure. So being aware of that, looking for signs um, is all important. And if you are very nervous about it, doing a infant or child first aid course can be really helpful. What would be the signs, a few key signs just to look for if it's the first introduction? Yeah, Rashes, particularly around the mouth, um, inflammation and rashes are probably the first signs that are going to come up. So not necessarily a breathing thing? Not necessarily. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you're typically looking for rashes and inflammation at first exposure. Okay, cool. Uh, how, and you just said to introduce if you're breastfeeding, what if you're formula feeding? How can you slowly introduce them? Is there a way or would you just have to give it to them? You'd just have to give it to them then. Yeah. Outside the hospital and then <laughs> <laughs> and see how you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I think if you need any specific support um, or have any questions, 
about you know infant feeding or meeting your family's nutritional requirements um I'm sure Lara will add where to contact me in the show notes I will indeed and also we'll get a few links after we when we spoke about throughout this episode around uh what to look out for nutritional infant requirements and mm. other things that we spoke about thank you so much Courtney again and no um, always a pleasure and if you are interested in contacting Courtney I'm going to leave her information in the useful links tab but if you have further questions or if you want to give us any feedback you can drop us an email at realtalkformums at gmail.com thanks a lot bye bye